Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you all for tuning in. I am humbled that you're taking a moment out of your schedules just to listen to me. Today is our final episode of season one, episode 11, final episode of season one, entering into season two. This is amazing. And as you know, I like to use this platform and open it up to the people in my life that I feel that are improving, informing and impacting the world around them. And if you've been listening before to my previous 10 episodes, you know that I love to name each episode and what the title of the episode is sort of sort of becomes a central theme of the actual show. It becomes a running idea that goes through the actual show. This episode, I've titled it, It Ain't Hard to Tell. People out there are asking the question, why did you name it that? Well, I titled it that because in my life, personally, it isn't hard to tell who has put in the work because you can see the results. When I look at my mom and my dad and coming from an immigrant country, a poor country, Haiti, and being able to purchase a home in New York City and then us moving to Palm Beach, Florida. It isn't hard to tell the kind of work. You can see the results of the work. You know it took a lot of hard work for them to go from a third world country, what's considered the poorest country in this hemisphere, to to go into one of the richest cities and thriving and surviving and living in one of the richest cities on earth. So I like to see tangible results. It isn't hard to tell who's been putting in the work. I, if you don't know, I'm a I'm an avid fitness fan. Oftentimes I don't follow the fitness protocols that I should in my personal life, but I have nothing but the greatest respect and esteem for those who put in the work because very few places can you see the work in its tangible form than that on a bodybuilder, someone who is in the best shape that they can be physically. It takes discipline. It takes motivation. It takes a certain level of ambition. It takes a vision that you have to have for yourself from the beginning on to the end game, the obstacles that you have to go through, the challenges, the mental, physical, spiritual walls that you have to break through oftentimes to still meet your fitness goals. So when I see someone in optimal shape, when I see someone who's looking really great, I say to myself, I know what it takes because I've had the stumbling blocks. I've been in good shape to great shape and I've been in not so great shape. And those individuals who are in great shape, they're going through exactly the same things we're going through in their personal lives. And somehow, some way they found a way to persevere. Who I have on the line right now is one of those individuals. He goes by the name of Gene Laguerre. Now, I'm going to explain to you how I met Gene Laguerre. I had a friend of mine who was a photographer. And we're looking through his uh, photography uh, catalog of people he was taking pictures with and this, that, and a third. I was working a pretty demanding job in Manhattan, and I wanted to get in shape. I kept telling myself I want to get in shape, but I didn't want to just go to the gym and pick a bunch of things up and putting it down without knowing the fundamentals. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I like to get to the origin of things. I don't just want to go to the gym with a bunch of friends and lollygag. I didn't have time for lollygagging at that time. So in the midst of my uh, a friend of mine, my photographer friend going through his portfolio, he happens upon a page where it has this uh, this muscular dude on the beach. And I'm looking and I'm like, who's that? And he's like, oh, that's a friend of mine. His name is Gene. I'm like, Gene lives around here. He's like, yeah, he lives around here. I'm like, so what does he do? Is he a bodybuilder? He said, yeah, he's actually creating a personal training studio 
on his property, you know, open to clients. I'm like, wait, he lives in Queens. He's like, yeah. I said, well, you need to call him right now. It was about nine, 10 o'clock at night. A friend of mine was like, it might be too late. I was like, listen, that man is starting a business and I got money. Call him. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, call him now. So he called him. And then within a couple of days, I went over to Gene's new facility. And all I saw on the wall were examples of the work and dedication it took to get to where he was. Here is a man I saw his teenage photos of when he started bodybuilding to his first competitions to his first wins and I got to see him through his teens I got to see the man through his 20s I got to see the man through his 30s and in the midst of all of that I thought I was going to get a trainer someone to teach me the fundamentals of weightlifting and fitness but what I got was more than that it was somebody who taught me the fundamentals of pushing myself past my perceived physical limitations so what i found was not just a personal trainer i found a personal mentor and a friend and that turned into more than a 20-year relationship which we have right now this is an awesome individual this man has been a bodybuilder for over 42 years he's a former professional he is a personal trainer for over 30 years in that time span, he has amassed over 23 championships and two national titles. He is a four-time Mr. New York City. Actually, an accolade that one of them that he got when he was a teenager. So this was a boy amongst the men to a certain degree. And he was beating out professional bodybuilders. Understand that. It ain't hard to tell who has put in the work and who has not. So without further ado, I would like to introduce everyone out there to Mr. Gene Laguerre. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Gene. Thank you so much, brother. That, that, that was an amazing intro. I mean, it's a, it's a deserved intro. Uh, anything less would be uncivilized. So, <laughs> I like that. I so like that. you know, here we are. You know, we were speaking about, um, you know, I, uh, with the intro, I spoke about, you know, uh, hearing about you in Queens. And, um, but I'd like to know, first and foremost, uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Haiti, like yourself. Okay. Uh, I came to this country uh, in 1968, where you know, which is New York City. I originally lived in Brooklyn uh, for about five years and moved to Queens. And uh, I've lived in Queens uh, ever since, you know, which was uh, 1974 when I when I moved to Queens and when I left Haiti, that was 1968, so I was 11 years old when I moved to Queens, and that was quite a while ago, considering I'm 58 years old now, and, uh, you know, married and father of three, so it's uh, it's been a, quite a journey, but a, a, a very good one. It's, uh, I know a lot about your story, but the people... And there's some things I don't know. So this kind of gives me an opportunity to explore certain things as well. Uh, but I want the public out there to know a lot more about you. Uh, when I see you now, you're 58 years old, 5'8 um, years old. I go on your Instagram page and um, I'm pretty sure that there aren't many 58-year-old men that are in the kind of physical shape that you're in. Um, I'm on your Instagram. If you don't mind for a moment before I continue, what's the Instagram page that we can reach you? 
that w- people can see you? Uh, it's uh, Mr. Natural USA Bodybuilding. Okay, Mr. Natural USA Bodybuilding on Instagram. Now, Jane, I marvel at you. Why? Because you're 58 years old. I am not 58 years old. I am not in my 50s, and I cannot put in, I'm not going to say I cannot, I do not put in the kind of work that you put in even after you've been in bodybuilding over 42 years, even after your professional championships, even after your accolades, what drives you? What was the, what was, what drove you from the beginning to want to get into bodybuilding so we can understand how you are still in such amazing shape after all these years? What drove you? One of the things that I will openly say is that uh, I'm a very competitive person. Got it. You know, so uh, high school, uh, joining the handball team, I was uh, very competitive at handball. I won two tournaments in junior high school and then went on to join the team as a sophomore. Uh, I was second singles. I had... I had a senior at point game to 18, and he beat me 21-20. Wow. And uh, I joined uh, can, can I can I, st- can I Can I stop you right there? You know how funny Please. it is that you still remember the score? I just want you to. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm very competitive. <laughs> Gene said he beat me 21-20. Dude, you have not let that go yet. <laughs> you know that? Oh, no, no, believe me, because I had him. I had him. find him so we can get a rematch think we... oh, I, wish. <laughs> <laughs> I think i think we may i think we may have to make that a, like a um maybe a project for 2021 we're gonna oh find that would be something but continue i'm sorry man i just had to, i just had to kind of highlight how competitive you are with that one but please continue absolutely so uh, when i joined the football team what happened was uh i had a weight training teacher uh who happened to have been the football coach and and whenever i would be in the class he would look at how hard i would push myself and uh, he was you know he admired that and he was like oh you should try it for the football team so i was like you know what i'll give it a shot and then uh when i tried out for the team like in the off season they had everybody in the weight room you know, so this weight room was pretty much a, a, a dungeon-looking weight room. It just had, like, bars and plates and, and, a ra- and a rack, like, you know, to squat and bench and stuff like that. I I never really done weights uh, seriously, but, you know, I, we all grew up with a friend that had some weights in his basement, like, right. even if they were those cement weights <laughs> and uh you know everybody's like oh you, you know try to bench this and they're like you're like okay meanwhile you had no idea how much weight was on the bar <laughs> you just get under it you know try to see like if you could do it you right know? right so but when i joined the football team uh i was 185 pounds at 6'1 16 years old and within three months uh i squatted 600 pounds for one rep 
Oof. and I did 400 for 20 reps. And I was benching 225 about five or six times. And how old were we? 16. And this was just in three months. And I didn't even really know what I was doing. You know, it was just like the coach kind of yelling at me and saying, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to add this weight and you, and you get under it and, and you do it. And I fortunately was able to do it. And so he kept adding more weight before I know it, it was 600 pounds on the bar. And I did one rep and then he took me down to 400 and said, you know, you're going to do this 20 times. And I did it. And it was just like, it was crazy. Wow. You know, because this man just rolled the dice and, and just assumed that this <laughs> year old kid could, could put up those kind of numbers without knowing what the hell he was doing. You know, if, if I trained a client like that, I'd be put in jail. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, it was oh, man. the experience of doing it it was so exhilarating, hmm. you know, because as I as I finished it and I was breathing heavy and my legs was all swollen and pumped and, and, I'm, and I'm sweating and I'm saying to myself, I said, wow, I said, what an amazing feeling. I'm like, I didn't know, I didn't know lifting weights could make you feel like this. Wow. Little did I know, I, I basically crawled to the bathroom and threw up my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then after I did that, I was still, like, freaking out, where I'm saying to myself, I can't believe you can work out, and it can make you throw up. It can this make is you incredible. Feel- <laughs> I, mean, I was just this young kid that was completely out of his mind, because instead of me being like, oh, I'll never do this again, you know, it, it made me throw up. I was, I was like, fascinated by it. You know, you, 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 know what's, you know what's funny about that right there is that that revelation moment that happens in many, many people's lives. What you just said, we're going to get back to that feeling uh, in a moment. But you just said a lot of people would have officially been repulsed and turned away from bodybuilding or weightlifting or squatting for the rest of their lives. What happened to you was the total opposite. That could have turned someone off from working out forever where they never touch a weight, where they have a mental block about weightlifting and working out for the rest of their lives. If, even if their doctor or whatever tells them, hey, you got to go to the gym, and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, the last time I was in the gym, I threw up, so no. Instead, you had that euphoria, that release of endorphins in your body. From, and then that even, even after throwing up, you're going, yeah, this is right for me. <laughs> that, A little touch of teenage crazy added on to the euphoria, which makes that story even more awesome because there was something there that would have been considered an obstacle to many. But to you, you were like, yo, this is crazy. I'm working out. I feel I feel at my greatest one minute and the next minute I'm crawling to the bathroom and I'm hugging the bowl. That is. But yet at the same time, it didn't deter you. It actually what happened after that day, after that workout? Well, you know, you know what it is, uh, just like you were, as you were breaking it down, June, and speaking of the euphoria and just the way I embraced it, it's like too often than not when people exercise, 
they have a very bad outlook of, of their interpretation of the experience of it. Mm. And for me, you know, if you look at your body like it's a vehicle, you know what I mean? Let's say somebody gave you like a Porsche or something like that or right. a BMW, some, you know, high-performance sports car, and you've never driven a sports car before, you know, and they mm. take you out to a track right. and they say to you, you know what, I want you to drive this car to your heart's content and find out what it can do. You know, obviously you don't want to crash, you know what I mean? Right. But, you know, but as you're driving this car, you're fascinated and you're saying to yourself, wow, I've never driven anything that moves like this before. Hmm. So so when it comes to the, the human body, so many people go through life never driving their body to its optimum level of performance very true you know everything that they do is so moderate you know so for me that was an opportunity for me to discover what my body was capable of doing wow so and and that discovery fascinated me Hmm. you know it didn't turn me off it fascinated me and then as i said to myself i said i don't even know what i'm doing I said, I'm only doing this a couple of months, and my body did this? I'm like, well, if my body could do this in three months, I wonder what it could do in a year. (laughs) So it was a whole different flip for me. Very interesting. So I I came to the realization that I loved lifting weights more than I loved playing football. Mm. And and right away, that, that iron bug bit me. And, and a friend of mine that was a, a senior, he saw how I was intrigued with lifting, and he gave me a, a, my first bodybuilding magazine. And he said, here, Gene, you know, I'm done with this magazine. You can have it because I know you really are interested in this. And then as I'm looking through the magazine and I'm seeing these bodybuilders with these physiques that reminded me of, of, of looking at comic books, and I'm saying, wow real people that look like superheroes. I said, this is incredible. And then there were like articles on how to train your chest, how to train your arms, how to train your legs and your abs and this and that. And then all of a sudden I look in the magazine and it said, there's a teenage New York City competition. Uh Uh-oh. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, wow. I said, they got competitions for teenagers? I said, I said, what if I train a year and I and I do this competition and I just see, like, you know, how good can I get in a year? And I'm thinking, like, I'll be 17 years old. The oldest teenager will only be two years older than me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, how much better than me could it be? He's only going to be training two years longer, even though two years of hard training is actually pretty significant. But for some reason... I didn't interpret it that way. I thought I had a shot, you know, even with just only a year under my belt. So I decided that I was going to learn how to become a bodybuilder and, uh, you know, enter my first competition after a year. So I started going to the store looking for bodybuilding magazines, and I found them, and I would buy as many magazines as I could come across and I was just kept reading and learning 
and then my brother for my 17th birthday, which was in February, the competition was in June, bought me a book by Arnold and one by Franco, and and, uh, and I just kept reading. I was training six days a week, four hours a day, learning, you know, what they call split routines, how to combine different body parts and how to understand muscle recovery and, and the ways to eat to maximize your your gains, you know, when you're training so your body could optimally build the muscle that you're putting in all the work for. So I just basically saturated myself with as much information about training and competing as I could possibly take in to try to learn all that I could in a very short period of time so that I could be the best I could possibly be in only a year of training. Wow. Meanwhile, the crazy part was I'm training in my garage. There were no gyms in my neighborhood. My first bench was thirty nine ninety nine, And then the first set of weights I had were weights that friends that had weights in their basement that weren't using them. They all temporarily donated their weights to me, you know, because they, they knew that I was serious, and they were like, you know, to help you out, you know, you could use my weights, you know, until you could get your own. So I had this very humble uh, weight set, and I worked that thing to the bone, you know. So, like I said, six days a week, four hours a day. So so let's let's go back a little bit, because this this is... The origin story is what's what's always the most fascinating to me, and it's the reason why I named this program "Whose World Is This." And on on my first episode, I spoke about how, when we're young, <clears throat> what we're told about the world kind of informs us about what the world is going to be. If you believe you live in a hostile universe, that's the universe. If you believe you live in a peaceful universe, then that's the universe. If you believe that you're a winner then you'll most likely start winning. If you don't believe that, then however, your belief system is going to inform your world. Now, I'm born and raised in Queens, New York, to my Haitian parents. You're born in Haiti. What is your family saying right now about you obsessing over something that traditionally, you know, our Caribbean families want us to maybe get into some other activities but what is your family saying now when you're working out for four hours a day? What's the overall sentiment? Well, you know, that situation, right, of uh, being raised, you know, by a single parent. My mom worked two jobs. Okay. You know, I was this kid that used to just want to live in the park, you know, for hours until it got dark and I couldn't see the ball anymore. Right. So... My mom was pretty much accustomed to me, you know, wanting to, you know, just go out and ride my bike and go to the park and come home like at dinner time and stuff like that. So when I started, you know, when I told her I wanted to do this and she took me out to buy that thirty nine ninety nine bench, you know, she was like, Okay, she said, uh, you know, let me let me support my son and, and uh his desire to do this, because I was like, Mom, I got to get a bench. I need a bench. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so she took me to a department store, not like a sporting goods store or anything. Right, right. And, 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 the, and, the, and they had this inexpensive bench that I felt was 
good enough to get me started. So, he, so if mom didn't buy that bench, how would you have gotten that money? Well, I would have had to get it from somebody, but I, I used to always work in the summertime. So, yeah. You know, so, uh, which is, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, right after, uh, that, that year, when I worked in the summertime, I saved my money and uh, I wanted to, I went, started buying more equipment because as, as all my friends that let me borrow their weight, so to speak, started seeing my body changing and building muscle, they were all like, well, I'm going to need my weights back. Haters. You know, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, those weights were collecting dust when they had them, but because... <laughs> You know, I created value in them, and they saw the improvement my body was making. They figured if they just own, if they just took their waist back, maybe their bodies would get better too. Not realizing the amount of work that I was putting oh my goodness. made my body change oh, so much. Let me tell you something. They were unwilling to do. You know, but uh, that is funny. the crazy part is, as you mentioned about how we define our, our perception defines our achievement. You know, having worked hard to become a good handball player, I applied the same principles. Understood. You know, towards bodybuilding. And I said to myself, I said, if I learn this and I try to work as hard as I can, I said, I, I was very confident that my body was going to get a lot better. That's because a I figured, like, in three months, without knowing what I was doing, I, I was able to put up these numbers with the squad and with the bench so you know how can i doubt you know making a significant amount of improvement in 12 months you know what's interesting about what you just said about the work um all of a sudden your friends see the see uh, your results and they're thinking to themselves oh i, I must have owned some magic weights i need to take these back <laughs> because uh somehow some way these weights when they're in gene's house they seem to change his body, but when they were back in my house, they weren't. So maybe I need to just abracadabra my way know, right? through this body. But it brings up something that I wanted uh, that I was probably going to mention in a future episode. I have a friend of mine that I speak to via audio message like you and I do oftentimes. Sometimes I don't have a minute to just spend the kind of time I want to spend on the phone. But because of, you know, audio messagings like WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, I'm still able to connect my voice with people that I that are very important to me. You being one of those people. And um, a college friend of mine said something to me within the last couple of weeks. He's um, working on an older car. He bought a car and he's not even a Mr. Fix it kind of guy. He has an office job during the day and on the weekends and nights. He's got this nice luxury car from about 30 years ago. And if you know anything about luxury cars from 30 years ago, if you have a 30 year old of any car, it's going to be a problem. So he has a, so he has a, a 30 year old luxury European car and he doesn't know much about fixing it, but he's learning. And he said something to me real casually on the on our on our recording. He was, you know, he'd send me pictures of the progress he's making, trying to, you know, unwrench and loosen up some rusty part. And he goes, June, this is really, you know, this thing right here. I gotta move this. I I just had to buy a, a new wrench. It's a it's a wrench that's uh you can only get in two factories in the in the world. And then he wow. said this quote. He said, June, nothing is really difficult. It's just time consuming. How much time are you willing to put in? 
And then he just continued on with the conversation on the on the audio message. I was stuck on that because what we realize is everything is about the time we're willing to put into it. You were willing to put in the time. You said, look at the changes my body made with three dedicated months. What's going to happen after a full year of me putting in the time? What's going to happen if I get all the research and material about this and put in the time? It's like Malcolm Gladwell once said that it takes 10,000 hours or that 10,000 hour rule where um, to master a set of complex skills and materials takes 10,000 hours. So what he's really saying is, have you put in the time? The weights aren't going to lift themselves. You said that to me one day. I'm in the gym and I was coming off of a, uh, whatever kind of day, and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the weights in your gym, and you said, June, the weights ain't going to lift themselves. And I was like, man, he's right. You got to put in the time. And then with that comes the result. So you were able to tap into that because of your handball experience. You knew as a competitor that you had to put in the time. And that that is an essential rule that oftentimes people miss out on. That's essential rule in success. I don't care if you're bodybuilding or if you're hand if you're playing handball or if you're in football or if you're in business. I don't care or you're in school. Yeah. You know, so that's very important. I'd like you to to circle back to you said the fundamentals of handball is what you used to apply the fundamentals of being successful in bodybuilding, even though that's two totally different uh, arenas. Very, very different, but you just you just uh, caught up caught on to a very key. Uh, uh, understanding of uh of the achievement jim mm. and basically you know as you gave the example of your friend and uh learning you know how to you know rep- do the repairs on his on his vehicle and so on i think in life anytime you conquer something and you build yourself up from not being good at it to being very good at it or even exceptionally good at it all those fundamentals that you were able to apply to develop that that learning curve and that achievement that application becomes applicable to any other endeavor wow. that you choose for yourself wow and and this is one of the things that sometimes we overlook you know the same it's the same code you know Mm. uh be willing as you stated earlier to put in the time and be consistent about it so what's a copy and and paste situation you're telling me pretty much Hmm. you know and 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 once i understood that because when i started playing handball i was not good you know but I wanted to be good. Right. So I became that kid that used to go to the park when it was empty. And I would practice, uh, you know, serves and, and killers and, and strokes and footwork, you know, until I started hitting the ball better and better. And by the time the park would get crowded, I was staying on the court. because of And, and every time I got better from practicing – I would want to practice more. And it just kept making me better and better and wow. better. Wow. So so when I when I decided that I would take on bodybuilding, I I told myself you're going to apply those same fundamentals that worked 
to make you a good handball player to become a good bodybuilder. You know, but but again, like you said, two completely different endeavors, you know, but for for some crazy reason, that was my interpretation. Very so interesting. So the, the outcome would, would be the deciding factor on whether my theory would be validated. You know, so I recall because I was training in the garage, I had... You know, all of the so-called friends that I had in <laughs> high school when they heard. The reason I say that is because, you know, a friend is supposed to support you when you want to do something. Absolutely. Not, not try to deter you. So these guys that I thought were my friends were telling me that I didn't have a shot. Hmm. They were trying to discourage me and they were like, oh, who are you kidding? You know, you're training in a garage. I don't know how you could possibly think you're going to enter a bodybuilding competition going up against guys that train in big gyms and all this equipment with this little bit of equipment you got in your garage. And they were doing their best to just get into my head and make me doubt myself. And I was that kid that you weren't going to break. Because a lot of times when you're putting in work, into something unless the people watching you put in that work they have no idea the quality of work and the consistency of that work that you're putting in so they think like you're, you're, you're doing this you're taking this lightly and you're going through the motions meanwhile you know you're giving it everything you got very interesting so, you know what's interesting about that? Um, I had uh, previously to this episode, you speaking about your friends and the people that were closest to your peer group being detractors and distractors. Um, I spoke about some things like that in episode 10, which is titled Represent, where I'm speaking about um, in our lives. Oftentimes there's a biblical quote that I'm going to chop up right now, but it says that no one is a prophet in their own land. It's very difficult oftentimes for the people closest to us to see our greatness. But it's those people oftentimes that can make or break our opinion of ourselves. We are informed oftentimes by the people closest to us and how they perceive us. For whatever reason, the things that your friends said to you, you did not allow it to deter you. It would have deterred a lot of individuals, but for whatever reason... And we're going to get to that. For whatever reason, you had this internal belief system, your competitive edge, your 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 belief in yourself allowed you to shoo away that noise, mute it and continue on and see the end game, which was you competing and possibly winning. You knew you had a shot and no one was going to tell you differently. So it's oftentimes we have to leave our village to get validation because sometimes we're so people that are right next to us, they can't see our greatness. And oftentimes they're projecting their own limitations, fears and shortcomings onto us because they would never get on a stage. And I hang out with Gene all the time. What makes him think that he can go on the stage? We're in the same neighborhood. We go to the same stores. We go to the same schools, but yet here you are, you're having a vision of yourself that's well beyond your present reality 
and they can't see it. So because they can't see it, you can't be it. It's very, very interesting. And we spoke about that. Very difficult to be a prophet in your own land. And that's why I want a lot of people out there listening to understand. Don't be mad at the people around you that are distracting and detracting you and discouraging you. It's not that you're not good or great at what it is that you're doing. It's because they don't see themselves doing some of the things that you're doing and they're projecting. Understand where it stems from. Don't allow it to inform you that you can't do something. Give yourself all the reasons why you can do something. Sorry about interrupting you, Gene. I just had to get that. No, not at all, Gene. That was a brilliant uh, analysis and evaluation of that because you're, you're absolutely 100% correct. And that's the thing. That's the other factor. You know, uh, I think in life, you know, we all discover our gifts in a different time span. Mm. You know, so we're all driven to accomplish something at a different stage in our life. Some of us discover it very early and some of us take a little bit longer. Mm. You know, so when I made that discovery, you know, at 16 years old, maybe a lot of those naysayers hadn't made their own discovery. Absolutely. Where they were still kind of living life, you know, uh, not fully understanding what is their gift, what is their path. <clears throat> so when, when you discover yours, they want to like, oh, you think you discovered it. I'm sure you're just, you know, you're, you're delusional. You right. know, this can't be accurate because they haven't gotten to that yet. So they can't imagine that you have and they didn't. Very you interesting. Know, so, so this is one of those things that we have to channel that energy within ourselves because, you know, once you see something that's for you, you can't make the decision based on someone else not being in that position to make that decision for themselves. Got so you. Therefore, you are, you're unwilling to make it for yourself because maybe your friend hasn't made it for themselves. I, I want people out there that are listening to understand something. If you get anything from what we're talking about today, I want you to understand. I want you to, if you can take anything away and glean something from this, understand that confidence is your invisible currency. Okay? Confidence is your invisible currency. You don't have to have the knowledge of something as of yet but you do need the confidence to know that eventually you're going to acquire the knowledge when you walk into a situation that is unknown you can say you know what i don't know anything and you don't allow that to become an insecurity you say to yourself well i don't know this yet yeah. it's not that you don't know this i don't know this yet but i'm confident that i will acquire the knowledge and i will know this i'm confident that if i put in the time okay i don't know this now or i can't do this today I may not be able to do this right now. I can't do it yet. But my confidence, I am confident that I will be able to accomplish it. That's what you did. Your confidence and your self-assurance, your belief in yourself was your invisible currency. You said, I may not be able to get on that stage now. Okay. But I'm confident that if I put in the time and the work, the effort, the discipline, the energy, I am going to get there. And so now... Here we are, 
friends are taking back their weights. <laughs> friends, are, <laughs> friends, are, friends are talking smack. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can't do this, man. What you talking about? Let's go to the store. Let's get. Let's. They're, let, looking, they're looking for the magic. <laughs> they're looking for the magic. The magic weights. No, there's no magic weight. You know, the weights didn't work. So now the weights are taking up space in their basements. And maybe when they took those weights back, they worked out for about three, four days, and that was it. And yeah. that, and that was that. And they were like, yo, man, I'm, I'm not doing that. I, I, there's other things going on. They weren't inspired. They didn't, they didn't tap into their truth yet. You tapped into a truth that resonated with you. And now because they didn't tap into a truth, they didn't tap into their greatness. They didn't have certain confidences about themselves because they're saying to themselves, this weightlifting thing hurts. This weightlifting thing is crazy. It takes too much time, energy, discipline. I can't do it. So what makes Gene think that he can do it? So now here you are on the cusp of Mr. New York City competition, your first competition. These dudes done took away the weights. Mom helped you buy your first bench bench set. You went out and saved your money. And instead of spending that money on a whole multitude of things that teenagers spend their money on, you went and got those weights. And now your friends are hating, as we like to say. What's going on now as you enter in, you're getting closer and closer to that competition? I'm excited. You know, I'm nervous, but I'm not, I'm not nervous, scared. It's almost like, you know, when you're studying for a big exam and you know you studied as hard as you can, you know you're prepared, but there's still a certain amount of anxiety, you know, because now the moment is, is closing in. And you're saying to yourself, all right, now I'm going to find out, you know, if all that studying that I did, am I going to am I, am I going to conquer this exam and get the grade that I told myself in my mind that I wanted to receive based on the work that I was putting in? Mm. So that's basically like, you know, where your anxiety is. So for me, if the date was rolling around, I knew that I had done absolutely everything possible to be as prepared as I could be, you know, for something that I had never done before. And I was prepared, you know, to go in there and, and uh, you know, get whatever outcome, <laughs> excuse me, that Bless was going to happen based on the fact that I knew I gave my preparation everything I had. Wow. So now it's game day competition day you're backstage what are you thinking well to, to give you a, a, an idea before that when as the competition was within weeks away mm. you know friends are asking me how do, how do I think I'm going to do you know and I told them first a second so in their mind they're thinking like what <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, how could you possibly think you're gonna do that well? You know, and I'm like, that's how hard I'm working. Right. I said I'm I, I'm the type of person I cannot put in a ton of work into anything and tell myself, okay, the outcome is not going to be great. Understood. Then what is going to inspire me to work so hard if I don't believe that the outcome is going to be what I want? And I'm one of those people. If I'm going to do something. I, I want to do it at a high level. If I'm going to compete, I want to win. 
And if I don't win and I take second, I'm like, okay, I just missed it. But if I'm telling myself I'm going to take third, fourth, or fifth, or don't place, I'm 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 not going to be as inspired to train and work as hard as I'm as I'm working if if I'm only believing that the best case scenario of the outcome is going to be third place. Wow. I just can't be inspired to work that hard, you know, telling myself I'm only shooting for like third, fourth, or fifth. I said it's just not it's just not I'm not wired that way. So for them, they were like how dare you think you're going to do so well in this show, you know, knowing that it's your first competition. And I said, well, I said, let's just see what happens. Because I said, it's not where I train, it's how I trained. And if I know I trained as hard as I possibly could, then I'm expecting the best possible outcome. Understood. So as, as, as showtime comes down, and, and of course, you know, you're seeing all of these you know, other bodybuilders. It's like when you compete, it's such an incredible experience because, you know, what people don't understand, you know, when you live in a certain area and you're the only bodybuilder, you don't get to really see other people that look like you or want to do what you're about to do. Wow. So, but when you do a competition, everybody comes out from, from nowhere, you know, and then they all meet at this competition because now you find out everyone else who had the same goal and the same desire that you had that was working as hard as they could for this moment so i'm seeing a whole bunch of other teenagers with very impressive physique some guys had like a really good chest some had like really good abs some guys had really good legs really good calves and i'm like wow i said these teenagers look amazing and, I, and i'm trying to say to myself i said i said what's my amazing body part <laughs> and all of a sudden i flexed my bicep and those guys are like wow <laughs> they were like look at this guy's arms and then, and then i flexed it again like wow his arms are incredible and as soon as i got that reaction i felt like i belonged wow <laughs> so, so it kind of put me at ease you know when i got that reaction you know from my fellow competitors and then and then as the show went you know and the judges were calling out all the mandatory poses and we we're posing i just tried to hit every pose as hard as i could because I gave myself six months of practicing my posing so that by the time I went on stage, I could do what the judges wanted. And then what was the outcome? I ended up taking second place, and I lost to a 19-year-old. Wow. And what? how old were you? 17. So you're 17 in your first competition. And this is your first year actually bodybuilding. Yeah, actually, it was 11 months. It was a month before I was going to officially celebrate a year of training. So you, you're only training for 11 months. 11 months. You enter into, and what was the and what was, uh, what competition was this? Uh, the Mr. Teenage New York City. That was in 1980. 1980. You're training only for 11 months based on magazines that you bought. Yep, writing magazines and books. magazine and no, books no, internet, no youtube no google none of that no 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 nothing but 
these magazines, these books that you read, emulating the workouts from the greats, doing what they say to do, eating what they say to eat, if you can afford to, I mean, or just pretty much doing what you can with the limited weight set that you had too. This is not as if, you know, you're, you know, this is a $39 bench and stuff like that. This is not, you know, this is not a gym. There are, for anyone out there that wants to know, our part of Queens probably still doesn't have a gym, right? Do we have a gym in Queens yet? Actually, they finally, there's a Blink Fitness, which is on Farmers now. And uh, before that, there was a 24-hour fitness that opened up at uh, Green Acres. And that was, and 24-hour fitness opened up maybe 10 years ago. I think no, or or less than that. Yeah, maybe a little over five years. Ago. A little over five years. So let's just say that in our area in Queens, there were there weren't any gyms. This is no, there was nothing back then. Eugene's walking around here, and like he just mentioned, he's the only bodybuilder in his neighborhood. So there's no one experientially for him to, you know, just uh, you know, pull their coat and say, hey, how do I do this? His circle is consisting of people that are saying, are you out of your mind? And he enters into a state, 11 months of training based on books and magazines, and you play second to a, at 17 years old to a 19-year-old. Yep. See, and I was so excited when I got that trophy because I wasn't really winning any trophies in handball, you know, so right. to have done the competition and then I received this second place with the Teenage New York City trophy, I was so excited because... You know, all the work that I put in, you know, I got, I received the validation. You know, I, first I hit the placement that I was targeting because I said if I didn't win, I didn't expect to be less than second. And then now I have a trophy showing that I took second place. Yeah. You have a, t- you know, so it was just really exciting for me. That is, um, I find that to be, um, one of the more important stories because I speak about uh, a lot of times on this podcast, I speak about it. Like I said, how we're informed and there's that old Frederick Douglass quote that it says, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And for you to find, to find your, your knit, to find that thing that, that, that caught fire with you at such an early age. And this is where like, my experience with you, here I am, I meet you decades after that. You, you know, I come to your facility and I look on your wall and all I see are accolades and pictures and the results of the time and dedication. And here you are at the time, you are a father of three, married, and I'm looking like, how is this man doing this? He's a husband, he's a father of three boys, and I'm saying to myself, and he's still, look at this. This is just a testament to the amount of work he puts in. And you said something to me one day. I was working out um, and I was getting tired. And you remember I used to call water my liquid courage. (laughs) (laughs) You you never forgot that. You'd always be like, yo, uh, Gene, I need a second. I need to go get this liquid courage right quick. And you'd be like, June, only a sip, no gulping. I'm like, all right, hurry up. And, And I'll never, and I'd be like, oh man. And, I remember I walked in. I was uh, this was a big day for me. Where we're gonna hit some sort of milestone. Right. I don't know. And I and I remember it you. Might have been when you were gonna do your two and a quarter squat. It was gonna be my two and a quarter squat, and you looked at me and you said, "June, 
this two and a quarter has been waiting for you all week long. It doesn't care how tired you are from work. It doesn't care about the argument you had with your girlfriend. It doesn't care what you ate or didn't eat or if you're hungry. It doesn't care. This 225 is going to be 225 today. It's going to be 225 tomorrow. It's going to be 225 the next day. How are you going to mentally and physically prepare yourself to attack 225? You have to be as consistent no matter what's going on in your life. You have to be as consistent as that 225 is. Now get up under there and give me my 10. I'm looking at, at that point, if you told me to push a Honda Record with my hands, I would have done it because that was a lesson that wasn't just in the gym. It goes back to what you said about copying, paste, copying and pasting and being able to use the fundamental protocols, the fundamentals and the rules of success. Doesn't matter if you're bodybuilding, doesn't matter if you're playing handball, doesn't matter your endeavor if you encompass those rules and if you utilize those rules. When you said that to me, that opened up a pathway for me. Because up until that point, I did some things good, I did some things great, but never was I consistent. I'd be able to try something, be good at it, maybe move on. I'd find something I liked, I'd maybe move on. At that moment, that moment, that speech opened up how important consistency was how important it was to you are it's like that old saying you are what you repeat how important it was that no matter what's going on during my day my night mentally or spiritually i have to somehow be able to bring about and channel excellence channel and so when you when you said that to me and this is we're going back now if people want to know how far we're going back we're going yeah, back that's more than 20 years ago that's dude. about i, 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 I I'm so blown away at you remembering that word for word as well as you did. Word That's for awesome. word. I'm going back to 2000, 2001, people. Yeah, it was 2001. 2001, people. Exactly 20 years ago. Exactly 20 years ago this year. And he said, it doesn't care. Two and a quarter doesn't care. It doesn't want to hear what you're going through. And I was like, damn. I said, if 225 doesn't care what I'm going through, Gene doesn't care. Gene is telling me, you got to go get it. Do you want it or not? That is the question. And I said, I want it. And you said, all right, go get it. And I went and got it. And we hugged. And, I, and, and that moment was an extremely important moment. That's why something like weightlifting and bodybuilding, it's not about picking things up and putting things down. That's not e it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what it means to dedicate your time, your mental and spiritual and physical energy to be able to shape and craft your body away. Because if you're shaping and crafting your body, that means you're shaping and crafting your mind as well. Absolutely. You have to be able to discipline your, 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 your mornings, your evenings, what you eat, what you don't eat, how you sleep, when to sleep, what to do. No matter what you're feeling, somehow, somewhere you drag yourself into that place because you have this end game in mind of how you want to look and how you want to feel and how you want to be. So it's bigger than biceps. <laughs> Maybe that should be a book of yours, bigger than biceps. But anyway, that's a book idea. Uh, I, I'd love to write that one. I, you know how I feel. You, I know how you feel because Gene, everybody out there, um, go to Gene's Instagram. Your Instagram again was? 
Oh, uh, Mr. Natural USA Bodybuilding. Mr. Natural. And what is your, I know you have a Facebook page. I'm a part of that Facebook page as well. What's that Facebook page? Uh, 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 Mr. Natural Drug-Free Bodybuilding and Fitness. Mr. Natural Drug-Free Bodybuilding and Fitness. Because that's going to be the latter, the latter half of this show, which we're getting into now. This is a very, another important concept, other important uh, 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 topic. It's the drug-free part because a lot of people out there might have been asking themselves, here is a bodybuilder from the 80s, uh, 90s. We we all know, uh, many of us know that the bodybuilding scene is rampant with performance-enhancing drugs, whether it's anabolic or androgenic and steroids and things of that nature. This is a man who's in his 58th year on the planet, 42 years of, of, of training, and he enters into natural competitions. For people to go where Gene goes, you can't be on any androgenic or anabolic steroids or things of that nature. You have to put in all the work, no shortcuts. And ex- can you give me an idea? Because this is something we discussed, but we didn't discuss it a lot. I want to know about the pressure. Was there any pressure? to use anything to 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 enhance because as 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 great as your physique was there are people that are getting on stage due to anabolics and androgenic that are looking like wait a minute wait what what kind of bench do you have maybe he has a magic bench but he didn't have a magic bench he had a magic needle did you feel any pressure to enter into that part of bodybuilding I never did, June. Actually, I never did. You know, and 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 a big part of that was that when I started out, I was I was this young, naive, ambitious kid. I thought all bodybuilders uh, did it naturally. I didn't realize that the drug thing was even something that existed. Wow. So so it wasn't until I competed nationally for the first time, and uh, and. The bodybuilders I was going up against were like 20 and 40 pounds uh, more muscle than I was. And I was trying to figure out, you know, why these guys so much bigger than me. But the other factor for me was in four years, I won 13 championships and I was in five bodybuilding magazines. So the success I had came so quickly, you know, that. In my mind, I was like, hey, I said, you know, look at how far, you know, I went from that first competition taking second place, you know, only a few years after that to have amassed that many uh, victories, you know. So I fully believed that, you know, one day I would be Mr. America, Mr. Universe, and I'd be able to do it, you know, training the way I was, you know, without any drugs and performance enhancement and so on you know not only i didn't know it existed but i had so much success that i knew that it was just time that stood between me fully achieving and amassing these you know major victories wow so it it wasn't until i discovered that other bodybuilders were not following the same guidelines of the way i was going about it you know, so therefore, what I was up against, I wasn't going to have any success knowing that these guys had such a big advantage over me. That is, that is amazing because 
also another thing that I've always wanted to ask you um, was what really the drive to continue to compete in bodybuilding, because, you know, um, outside of your which I and this is very interesting about internalizing success and looking for external success outside of you setting individual goals and winning bodybuilding out of all the professional sports is kind of thankless in its compensation. There's a lot of work that puts in to putting that body on a stage and competing. It's not just picking things up and putting things down. You have to, you have to uh, pose. You have to come up with a routine. You have to diet down. Sometimes the, big, the bigger you are on stage, the weaker you feel that day because you have to deprive yourself of water and things like that so you can look what they call shredded, so you can see every single muscle uh, 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 highlighted. To do that, you have to actually work harder and deprive yourself of more than most human beings on the planet. But yet, the compensation I've always found it to be grossly, grossly under what it should be based on the amount of work and professionalism that these men and women yeah, put out yeah. there. And I agree with you 100% on that one, Joe. And, and I've always felt a way about it. Like, it's something that if I were in the fitness business, one of the first things, I'm sorry, the bodybuilding competition business, the first thing I would do is I would create equity splits for the first uh, the, for the first five placers. If you're top five, top three, whatever sponsors and whatever people came in to put in this show, you get a, a nice piece of that based on where you place. Obviously, the first place finish would have a higher equity share than the second or third place finisher. But and then that would be it would make it would it would uh it would actually begin to actually compensate these professional athletes for the work that they put in. So without that compensation, what is it that drives a natural bodybuilder? What is it that drives them? Even though you know you're you're going to probably spend more money and more time and energy than you're going to get back when if you get the first place victory. Yeah, well, that's a great question, Juna. And uh, the best answer that I could have for you on that first, I give you two answers. Okay. Number one. Uh, if somebody would have given me a tennis racket <laughs> instead, of, instead of joining the football team, I would be shaking your hand today. <laughs> That's the first answer. The second answer was because they didn't give me that tennis racket and it was a barbell, I fell in love with it. Understood. You know, so I fell in love with it. Understood. And once you become passionate about something yeah then everything else goes out you know what i mean mm. all those other factors goes out and and it got to a point where you're creating something that is so far beyond you know what you initially thought was possible and you're so entrenched in that creation that that artwork that you call your body that you're sculpting and, and, and creating that you get to a point where, you know, you're so deeply involved with, with what you're doing that you're so driven at, at the thought of knowing that you can do more, that you can build this physique to an even greater level 
than what it was currently, knowing that what it became currently was so far from what it was when it started. That's amazing. You know, and it's and it's that quest of achievement and that passion that drives that that makes you just not really focus so much about everything else in terms of the compensation in which you're deserving of for the amount of work that you're putting in, but you're so driven at the creation of what you're doing and, and, and you get lost in that. You know, what's, what's interesting about that is, you know, it's, 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 um, I remember I was reading something and it said, um, you know, if you have a small child, not only don't just tell them that you're proud of them, uh, teach them to be proud of themselves at the same time. Teach them to say, did you see what you just accomplished? Be proud of yourself for what you accomplished. You used a lot of internal motivation, despite the externalities, despite the the, the naysayers, despite uh, uh, the discouragement that you might have received or discouraging words that you might have received from your peers. Internally, you said to yourself, I'm a winner. I'm going to win. This is what I want to do. I love the feeling. I love the idea of going from this to that. And the process is so important. And you fell in love with the process. And that's where greatness comes in. I remember there was a tennis player, Martina Navratilova, who was very great in, I, I think it was the 80s, uh, 90s. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was uh, watching or a seminar by her years ago. And she's speaking. She was a great tennis player. I think she was from Germany or Russia. I'm not entirely yeah. sure. She was Russian. Awesome. And she was sitting there talking to a bunch of young uh, tennis players, young female tennis players. And one of the girls asked her, um, you know, how, how much time is it going to take? or How long is it going to take for me to be great? And Martina said, if you have to ask, then you'll never be great. And yeah. that was an amazing response. And she wasn't being rude or facetious. She was saying, there's no timetable. You, you just put in the time. You That's put it. in the time. You you find out what you put a goal in front of you. You reach it. You give yourself a pat on the back. You give yourself that prideful yes, I did it. And then you set another goal, and then you yep. put in the time for that one. Then you set another one, and that's what happens when you're in in your passions. Now, how is it? Because I know a lot of bodybuilders. I know a lot, but not every bodybuilder is a great teacher. Not every bodybuilder is a great mentor. When did you know that you could also teach people to find the soul of it? Or, or you have a book, we're going to segue into your book, which is called The Art of the Rep. When did you know that you could teach people that true art in the spirit of the rep? Uh, another great question, uh, June. And uh, I also loved the uh, example, you know, by Martina Navratilova and, and her rival at the time in tennis because i'm a big tennis fan me too uh was uh chris, chris everett. everett lloyd right right and uh chrissy everett uh her career was also amazing her and martina both they were like larry bird and magic johnson real talk that's that's the level of their rivalry i mean just two extremely competitive women that were their career started at the same time and they battled, yeah. you know, to, to, to defeat one another. Absolutely. And uh, to speak about her rival, Chris Everett, Chris Everett won 
about 150 tennis matches and 18 grand slams, which at the time is was a oh, ridiculous number. Yeah. You know? And just to put it in perspective, uh, Serena Williams, you know, has got 23 grand slams, but as far as the, the amount of tennis tournaments she's won, the number is somewhere like around maybe 81, 82, 83 maybe. Right, right. <clears throat> and that's in 20 years of her competing. So imagine Chris Everett winning over 150. I mean, that woman was a beast. That means every year of her career, she was winning like, like ten or more. Ten or more matches. I mean, it's it's which is ridiculous. We we could so literally consistently be that dominant. We could easily have a Chris Everett because I'm a big tennis guy. A lot of people in my family watched tennis when I was oh, growing my up. Goodness. So, but but, but, the, but the point that I'm going to make about it is what you spoke about the money. Right. Chris Everett in her entire career, if she made somewhere between. 15 to 20 million dollars it was a lot yeah where serena williams winning half of the tournaments of chris everett even though she has more she has like maybe five more grand slams uh serena williams has made uh in her tennis purse over close to 90 million dollars yeah real talk and in endorsement, she makes close to twenty-five million a year. So it it is it is amazing when you consider and that money didn't exist when it, Martina it didn't, and Chris Everett yeah, were defeated. Yeah, there was none of that money. There was none of that, that money, money going was on. Not it like wasn't that. existent. So let me ask you. So let me ask you. At that at this point, um, to reiterate, this point here, you are. You've been training people for thirty years, and I'm pretty sure that's in just it, that's an offshoot of your, you know, you, you being you know, such a great competitor and champion, maybe there, there was a demand for you, you know, to train other people. But I know a lot of bodybuilders that aren't good trainers. They know how to train themselves. It's like sometimes you can't teach greatness or you can't convey it. That's why they oftentimes say uh, oftentimes great players don't make great coaches or like great professional athletes. But for, for whatever reason, you um, are a great teacher. You were a, you were and are a great champion and at the same time, you have an ability to convey to people what they need to do, the soul and the art of that rep. And I want to know, how did that come about? If there's a, was there a magic light that went off? There's like, I'm really good at training people. I Actually, another great question, Jude. And, and you know what it is. Uh, when I started bodybuilding, I never saw myself becoming a trainer because it was all about personal achievement and what I wanted to accomplish for myself. Okay. But there was a bigger picture that existed that took me a little bit of time to discover because every time I wanted to, uh, you know, go astray from the path, you know, and I said, oh, if I don't win this next competition, I'm done. I'm going to quit because, you know, the roller coaster ride of winning and losing and being high and then being low, it's, uh, it, it, it's a beatdown. Yeah. And and for some reason, every time I was ready to put it all on the line and quit, it didn't happen. 
If I said hmm. I had, if I didn't win the next show, I would quit. I'd win. And and during that process, I started to attract so many people. You know, by my achievement, people would look at me and they would be so fascinated in what I had achieved for myself that they would come up to me and say, "You have to teach me this." Wow. Because I've never seen anyone that looks like you before. You know, so I want you to teach me. I don't want anybody else. I want you. So the more that this started happening to me, the more I started to realize, you know, the reason that I've stayed on this path as long as I have wasn't all about me. It was about, you know, the lives that I could impact because of all the experience that I've gained and all that I've had to learn, now I can use that to help and teach others. Amazing. And once I, once I processed that, it, it was a whole different uh, outlook and understanding for me because I realized that the people that I was working with, I was touching their lives in the deepest way. The same way when you articulated a moment that we shared in the gym that was 20 years ago, and you expressed it in detail, accurately, as if it happened last week. Yep. And it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And as I listened to you describe the moment, I was like, wow. I said, listen to June speak of it word for word like it happened yesterday and it was 20 years ago it was 20 years ago and and it's and it's these kind of moments and experiences and and these kind of people just like you said you know we met 20 years ago and here it is you know our 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 trainer the client relationship became more than just a friendship it became like a brotherhood absolutely you know we we developed a a love and respect for one another and 20 years later we still have this strong connection absolutely one another that came from those moments and those experiences and those memorable times you know that we share those life-changing you know, uh, moments in the gym and, and those speeches that you heard me iterate to, to, move, to, to inspire you and to motivate you to see your greatness. It and, was... and I realized that, you know, I have to continue sharing my ability to help bring that greatness out of others and give others uh, a greater appreciation and understanding of taking care of themselves and realizing what they're capable of if they're willing to just embrace it and to see their greatness. And as I'm able to paint that picture and it becomes so vivid that they see it, they start tapping into their own greatness. It's so And it just really fulfills me because I realize now that I've had my career, that my passion is in teaching. It's in helping mm. to inspire and and help bring out greatness in others to follow suit. It's, and the social media platform 
is truly helping me to do that. And I'm just still tapping into understanding how to utilize it. Even just today, uh, a 20-year-old that lives in California that follows me on Instagram. He did an interview with me not too long ago, and uh, he just recently joined the group page, and he sent me a message earlier today telling me, he said, Gene, he said, you have no idea how much it means to me for you to believe in me and to tell me that I'm capable of achieving greatness in what I'm doing. And he said, when it's coming from somebody like you, who's accomplished so much, it means so much to me. And and that's happened to me a few times from the social media platform. I had another gentleman, his name is Ben, who went on my website and and was able to get my e-book, who sent me a message and said, Gene, I read your entire book, and it was so inspiring, and I I wanted to ask you if I could use some of your quotes. Amazing. In your book. And I was like, I was like, wow. And he started iterating some of my quotes. And he said, you wouldn't be offended if I used them, would you? And I said, not at all. Just give me the credit. Wow. (laughs) I mean, you know, what's interesting about that is um, it goes back to what I was speaking about, that oftentimes we have to leave our villages um, to become the prophets that we are and to be recognized. I mean, here you have people from all over the world. Remember, you're the 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, and your friends are saying, what the heck is Gene doing? And fast forward now, there are kids that are a couple of years older than you from when you first started. Now they're reaching out to you from California, from all parts of the country, and saying how you're impacting their lives. The thing about your method of training um, what makes it so important is it's ego free one. It's the art and the spirit of bodybuilding. It's about learning about your body first, learning about the weights that's in front of you, having a healthy respect for the form and the movement and the beauty and the poetry of it. There was something about working out with you and training with you and being your client that has yet to even be close to be emulated. I've trained with some pretty good trainers um, and some trainers that weren't so, so great. But what I learned from you is something that I, that I was already doing in my personal life before I met you. I was always looking for that, that spiritual center or that core of the thing I'm doing. If I had friends around me, I was trying to get to what's central about them. If I was reading something, what's central about it? What what is central about this experience that I can take from it? What I got from working out in your gym, it's it's hard for me to just call it a workout. It's hard for me to just call it training because what it was, we were getting central, getting getting involved in key points about life, soul centering. We were centering. This is not just weights, June, that you're picking up. You're picking up consistency. You're picking up form. You're picking up excellence. You're, you're, you're learning how to be pure and great at something. This one rep is everything. We're not trying to get to 10. We're trying to get this one perfect rep and emulate it the second time, emulate it on the third try. This was, this was a very, very important key element 
of our workout routines. There were times where I'm picking up weight and I'm putting it down like, yeah. And you'd be like, shut it down, June. Let's do it over. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got six solid reps and you erased it off of the board because it didn't meet the art of the rep. It didn't meet that, 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 that standard of excellence getting to the center of it. And that's why before we close out, um, I want you to tell people how they can get this book that you have on Amazon right now. What's it called? Uh, and uh, absolutely, yes. Dude. And again, your memory is impeccable because uh, I say that so often. I even was teaching, saying it to a client only this morning. <laughs> Excuse me. Because the thing is, I say this when you're teaching your body a skill. If you do it really well and then you flip and you do it not so well, it becomes combative yes. to your body. Yes. Because your body's trying to process two different methods. One is a higher measure of, of excellence and the other is more towards like mediocrity. Yes. Very and, true. And and the body is like trying to decipher is there one of these methods that is your preference? Because right now that I'm being allowed to do both, I'm getting confused. Got it. So for me, rather than allow that confusion, I want you to consistently do it optimally to the best of your ability so that your body can decipher one method. Very, very eloquent. I'm looking right now. I'm on, I'm sorry, I'm on your Amazon page, and it says here, the art of the rep, and you, uh, it's r.e.p. And that R-E-P stands for Really Expressed Passion. And your name is spelled Laguerre, Jean Laguerre Sr. The last name is spelled L-A-G-U-E-R-R-E. Jean Laguerre Sr., the art of the rep, Really Expressed Passion on amazon.com you need to everybody out there i want you and i implore you to pick up this book and if you are in the new york city area and you need more than a not just a trainer more than a trainer i'm telling you that you need to reach out to gene laguerre and i gene uh just for the audience out there where can they reach you your instagram your facebook or any phone numbers or whatever you want to give out it's fine yes, go ahead the floor is uh, yours they- my website is uh, MrNaturalBodybuilding.com, and they can call me at 718-406-1200. Okay, and your Instagram? My Instagram is MrNaturalUSABodybuilding. MrNaturalUSABodybuilding, and the uh, Facebook group? The Facebook, uh, the group page, which would give them a lot of uh, uh, valuable information and, and uh, detail on nutrition and exercise is Mr. Natural drug-free bodybuilding and fitness. That is awesome. Gene, I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to have this interview with me. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. You know, everywhere I've been preaching the gospel of Gene all over the world where I've lived I've mentioned you. Your name is, is being bandied about in circles with people that you'll probably never meet. Because I always use your experience as a teaching lesson. I use it to inform my present, 
And oftentimes, if someone is going through something, whether it's in fitness or health or something like that, I impart to them a lot of the wisdoms and a lot of the things that you said to me early on. So I still use that till today. So it doesn't even represent my past. The things that we went through, you know, training together and learning and, I, and me as your your client protege and you as a mentor trainer, that's not my past. I, I It informs my present and it's going to inform a lot of future endeavors. And for that, I wanted to say thank you. And I am imploring everybody out there to go to his Instagram page, go to the Facebook group, buy the book, The Art of the Rep. Contact him if you are in the New York City area, if you're looking for training and mentorship. Okay? Now, Jane, I want to say I bid you adieu. I'm going to give you a call later on, but I'm going to uh, tell everyone out there, thanks for tuning in and good night. Thank you, Jim.